This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2020 Winter Retreat by Pastor Luke Anderson from Ames, Iowa. The theme of this specific conference was heaven. We hope you find this encouraging. If you guys don't know me, my name is Luke Anderson. I'm a pastor from Ames, Iowa at Stonebrook Community Church, and I am the CF director at Iowa State. But I have been looking forward to this morning. I know all of us were hoping to be up in the mountains right about now. But I am excited that for the next few days, we get to sit and we get to think about heaven. My hope and my prayer is that our lives are changed as we see what God has for us. But before we get started, let me pray real quick. God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters, both here in this room and are watching online. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you. There is so much for us to know. There's so much that we probably don't get yet. And God, I ask that today, tomorrow, that we would see more clearly what it is you have for us, and God, that it would change our lives. Oh, we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you guys. What are you looking forward to the most? What do you want most? During Christmas break, I'm guessing you guys had a little bit of time to sit around and maybe do nothing. In those quiet moments, what did you think about? I'm not looking for the right answer. I'm looking for the real answer. What is it that you want most? What are you looking forward to most? What's most exciting for you right now? At different points in my life, it was comfort, <laughs> just comfort, or more comfortable things, a nicer house, a nicer car. Sometimes it was a job. If I, if I get that job, if I become a pastor, that's what I want most. If I get glory, at one point it was a girl, <laughs> if I only had her be happy. This morning we're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And Paul has some instruction for us from God on what it is we should be looking to in life. What it is we should be looking forward to most today, tomorrow, and every season of your life to come. So open up your Bibles to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let me just read all four verses for you real quick. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is writing to the church here. He's trying to undermine false doctrine, false teaching to the church. And he comes to this point of instruction. And the first two verses, he has two points where he's calling us to action. Seek, set. The thought here is to strive, to persist in doing this thing. It isn't just a mindset. It is a call to action to persist and strive in something. I know we all have ideas or pictures when it comes to mind, 
of persisting or striving. And I know for me, the, the, the picture I get most often when I think of striving for something, I think of actually a vacation when I was 16. We were on vacation in Nessus Park, Colorado, and if we were there right now, I could just point out the window and go, see that mountain there? That's Long's Peak. It's the tallest mountain in the northern range. It's over 14,000 feet. And when I was 16, we were camping there, and we'd been talking about the mountain. My dad bought a book on the mountain. And it's a treacherous mountain. People die on it every year. And my dad goes, you want to hike it? (laughs) 16, of course, yes, let's do this. The thing is about the mountain, you need to start at about 2 a.m. because you want to be off the top and down before noon. Because normal mountain weather is every afternoon you get rain or a storm. And it's nine miles up and nine miles down with over 5,000 feet of elevation gain and then loss on the way back down. So one-ish comes around, we get out of our tent, we jump in the car, we drive to the trailhead, and we get hiking in the dark. So we make it through the forest, and we get above tree line, we get to the tundra, and the sun rises, and it is absolutely beautiful. My dad starts to get a headache from the altitude and has to take some Tylenol and drink some more water. Once you get up high enough, you get to the, um, the boulder field, And the boulder field is boulders the size of chairs, couches, and sometimes cars. You have to scramble up these boulders to the top, which is the keyhole. And if you could look straight down on the mountain, you'd see three different ridges. You have to go through the keyhole from one ridge to the other side so that you can work your way around to go up a trough or a canyon. At the keyhole is the first point people start to turn back. I don't know if you're afraid of heights, but when you get through the keyhole, you have about 10 foot of rock and then about an 80% grade, thousands of feet down to a small lake. If you fall, you're done. The trail stops here. What they have are painted dots on rocks, and you just follow the dots from one rock to the next, scrambling along, working your way around to the next ridge so you can go up the trough, a trough that's been cut out by a glacier. And so it's filled with gravel because it's been graded rock all this time. And so you're scrambling up the gravel, grabbing on the rocks, hoping you don't slide backwards. And at the top, you get to the, the, the narrows, and it's a cliff ledge about 10 feet across, and then it goes straight down thousands of feet. And it feels like the mountain's falling out from underneath you. And you walk along this. Sometimes it's about six foot wide. Sometimes it's about ten foot wide. With a cliff ledge on the other side. You make your way over to about a 30 foot cliff face. And you scramble up that. And you're at the top of Long's Peak. It took us all morning. And we were in the trough. Exhausted. Gasping for air. Scrambling and holding on the rocks. And we're in one of those moments trying to catch our breath. When a guy comes jogging by in jogging shorts, just jogging up the trough, making it look like it was nothing. He gets to the top, disappears, and a few minutes later comes jogging back down, and one of the guys around us goes, did you make it to the top? He goes, yep, you're you're almost there. And my dad goes, what are you doing? 
He goes, I'm training for a gold at the Olympics. I go, yeah, that's about right. (laughs) We all know what it takes to train for the Olympics. You've heard stories. You've read the dedication. You have to count calories, your meals, exercise. It consumes your whole life because you have something in mind. Your eyes are focused on a glory that is the gold medal that will be with you for the rest of your life. And that man had dedicated years to get in that good of shape. Even when I was running marathons, I was never in that good of shape. It consumed his whole life to be able to jog up a 14,000-foot mountain along cliff edges and be strong enough to do it with ease. He sought the gold medal, and it changed his life. It affected how he lived. Likewise, Paul's saying, seek. What are you seeking? Your life follows whatever you seek. Whatever you set your mind on. We need to live in a way that is seeking something, set on something. Our hearts and our minds, our lives set on. What is it supposed to be set on? The things above. What are the things above? What is it that we're supposed to seek and set our lives on? where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, furniture. Seek the seat. (laughs) It's not furniture. Don't seek the particular throne of Christ. What we are to seek is Christ. We're to seek the person of Jesus, his sovereign reign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, Jesus. Set your eyes on his character, on his presence, what it's like to be in his presence, on his heavenly joys, the kingdom of God. But how often do you think about heaven? Have you thought about it at all this year? (laughs) We don't think about heaven much. Why not? I know for me and for most people I've ever talked to over the years, it's because heaven's boring. Our idea of eternity with God is kind of boring. At least in comparison to what's right in front of us right now. Apparently the earthly things are more appealing to us in our hearts and in our minds than heaven. That's why Paul has to tell us to get our eyes off the earthly things. We get caught up with what's in front of us. And our idea of heaven is pretty boring. Maybe it's you get up there, you face God, he runs through a list of your sins, and he goes, okay, Jesus paid for that, you're good to go. Here's your halo, here's your harp, there's your cloud, have fun. Start singing, we got infinity to go. If that was heaven, that'd be pretty boring. It's not what heaven's going to be like. 
Paul had a picture of what eternity with God would be like so clear that so in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, he has this, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if you live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for your sake. I'd rather die and go be with Christ. It'd be way better than here. But you guys need me, so I'll stick around for a while. He knew what was waiting for him, and it was exciting. He had a picture that life wasn't going to happen until he was there. He knew what Jesus prayed for in John 17. As Jesus is facing the cross, Jesus prays, I pray that they would be with us. That they would be in me and I in you, as you are in me and I am in you. That they may be perfectly one with us and with each other. A level of intimacy with relationship, in relationship with the most beautiful person you can possibly imagine. The most powerful person you can possibly imagine. Do you get God? <laughs> he knew he would see God face to face and not die. In another part, Paul says he longs for just a few words from God. He's living for one moment of glory that would begin the eternity of glory, and that was well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It was the glory he was living for. He knew there would be no more sin, no more pain, no more reason for tears. He knew there would be joy, overwhelming joy, and it wouldn't stop. Heaven, eternity with God is awesome. A word that shouldn't be used lightly. It is awesome. So a question needs to be asked. Are you going to heaven? Does everybody go to heaven? Paul starts off chapter 3 with an if. If you've been raised with Christ, then heaven is your destiny. Which means if you have not been raised with Christ, heaven is not your destiny. The Bible tells us that hell is your destiny. Eternal separation and torment. Why? Why is that the case? If you open up your Bible to the very beginning, in the beginning, before there was anything, there was God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly one 
in their nature, in who they are, in their holiness and purity and love and power. Three distinct persons, so perfectly one that we say we believe in one God. And if I try to describe him much more, I will run the risk of committing one of several dozen heresies. He is that glorious that I could water him down by trying to describe him to you. He created light, darkness, oceans, stars, galaxies, trees, every creature you've ever known. And then he created you, man and woman. Different from everything else in all creation, he created us for a purpose. We were created to see his glory and to be in relationship with him, to join in that one relationship, to share in his holiness and his love and his purity. And to cultivate this world they just gifted to us. And it doesn't take long before we break that relationship. We sin against God. And sin comes into the world and so death and suffering, sickness, pain, reason for tears and anguish come into this world. We bring it in. Paul says in Romans that not just Adam and Eve all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, it says that what we've earned with this sin is death. The wages that you earn with sin is a death penalty. Every sin is a death penalty. If you've been pretty good and have only sinned maybe once a day, you've only got a few thousand death penalties. What makes you right with God is death. The only thing to pay that would be death. And if you die separated from God, we are eternal, and therefore eternal death is waiting. And right now, today, we would be in despair, not even talking about heaven, if God didn't love you. All the way, even at the very beginning, and we see it unfolding and unfolding and unfolding all throughout the Old Testament, building for hundreds of years. God promises a Savior, someone to rescue us from hell, to restore us back into relationship with Him forever. Then you get that summary verse that all of you know so well in John 3.16. Do you get it? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved you enough. The holy creator, I've been thinking about it all, all Christmas. 
God took on flesh. That means he needed sleep, food, he got splinters, he got sick, and he had to live day in and day out with us. It's people sinning against him his whole life. He so loved you that he sent his son to come and live a perfect life in this world so that when he died, he would leave a gift, a payment, propitiation, payment for your sins, a check to cover our debt. So now it's there for the whole world, for you. It's precious. Both in its cost and what it gives. The question is, do you want it? Do you want to spend eternity with God? Do you want to taste heaven? Romans 10, 9 and 10. There's no magic prayer to receiving this gift, but it tells us what is needed. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Do you want to be under the rule of Jesus for eternity? If you complained about any government ever, you will never complain about his rule. We'll finally have it. <laughs> Someone who actually cares about you in charge. God. More than that, he doesn't just call us servants, he calls us friends. We will be the sons and daughters of God. In the beginning of John, it says, for those who believed, those who received his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Thought about that. We aren't just servants forever. We are the sons and daughters of God forever in Christ. And our inheritance is the inheritance of Christ. And so we come to verse 3 For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For every single one of you who have put your faith in Christ, this is your past. He says, remember the beautiful gospel. Remember the cost and the love of your Lord. Who it is, the person, your Savior who reigns, who you get to be with forever. Not just that, but it, your, your life is hidden in Christ, inseparable, unescapable. You're with him forever. You can't lose it. And we get to verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is your future. Heaven isn't your eternal home. God is coming. Jesus is coming back, and he will redeem and make a whole new earth. And from the description in the Bible, there will be new mountains and oceans. Sounds way bigger than this current one. For us to work 
and explore. We will get new bodies that won't get sick or have pain. There'll be no more reason for tears. And there are things, there are a lot of things I'm looking forward to. One of my good friends, one of my co-pastor's wives had a stroke, and she's in a wheelchair probably for the rest of her life. I'm going to race her when she gets those new legs. I'm going to see my sister again. I get to walk with Jesus and meet David. I plan on building a giant lodge and mastering cooking, and I am going to make feasts for you guys. I'm going to find a nice spot by some epic mountains, and I just want to create a space where we can come back and tell stories of all our adventures and all that we've been doing and all that we've seen and all that we understand of God. My co-pastor's dreams of building spaceships and exploring the galaxy. This isn't science fiction. My hopes and my dreams are based on verses. Heaven is not unimaginable. It's imaginable. There is more that we should see and understand. What are you looking forward to? How awesome is eternity with God? And we will have forever. One of my favorite ways to help get this, to help me understand it, is a simple rope. This thought of forever. Eternity with God. It's a hard concept to understand. This rope runs down off the stage, down the ramp, out the back door, and out to the street. Now imagine as it keeps going. It keeps going onto the highway, heads south, and around Missouri, it starts to go off in this space, past the moon and stars, out past beyond the galaxies, and it keeps going and going and going and going. That's eternity. This little bit of black tape, this is your time on this earth. For some of you, you may have 60, 80 years, maybe. For my sister, it was four. For some of my friends, it was 16 or 19. For my grandpa, it's 60-ish. You might be here in your early third. You might be here. I don't know. This is all you get. This is the time in which you have to choose Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And whatever you have left, Paul says, don't focus on here. Focus on here. Look to set your heart, set your lives on the eternity with God that is waiting for you. Consider reality. Live in light of reality. We get stuck on the here and now. We think COVID's never going to end. We think the challenges of our life are overwhelming. We get caught up in here or here or here. We get stuck on tomorrow and we forget our future. And Paul says, set your mind, set your heart, aim your life on your destiny as sons and daughters of God. How? How do we do it? 
But first, we need to strive. This is going to take effort. It will change our lives. What do we need to do? I don't know. What do you guys need to do to change your perspective to keep focused on eternity with God? First thing I just want to give you as an idea is pray. Ask God to set your heart and help you see, help you grasp the things above, to set your heart on the things above. Ask for his help. Ask him to reveal it and unveil it from his word. And second, memorize the word. Over the next few days, both today and tomorrow, you're going to hear verses and teachings on what eternity with God is going to be like. New heaven, new earth, eternity with God, all of it. And there are going to be verses that are going to open up your eyes and help you get it just a little bit more. Write those down. Make a list. Memorize those. Store them up in your heart so that you carry around a bigger, ever-growing picture. You chew on those. The verses you memorize, you chew on more and more, more than the rest. The day you, you don't have time for a quiet time, you can remember the verse. In those dark hours when you're alone or life is overwhelming and scared, the ones that you've memorized and stored up inside, they come to mind. It's ammo for the Holy Spirit to use. Find those precious things and store them up. Meditate on them. Think about them. Our eyes might be set on heaven more and more and more. I've gotten better at this than I was five years ago. I have a long way to go still. I haven't mastered this yet. I want to live every day in light of my destiny as a son of God. God wants us to do this. So before I, I'm done, I don't know exactly how much time I have left. I want to pause and let's do the one thing. Let's pray. So just pause for a few minutes. Turn with the person next to you and pray that God would help you grasp the things above and set your heart, your mind, your life on the things above. And then I'll, I'll close this with some prayer. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.